Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special bonus episode of Infinite Journeys. As always, I am your host, Tony Z. If you listened to the last episode, Asher could not join me for this very special interview, but we are joined by Ken Vigu, the creator of Chad of Fallout 76 podcast and also the voice of Simon Rex, not to be confused with famous actor Simon Rex from the scary movie movies. Well, I mean, the, the name may have come from him. I was I, that was actually one of the first questions I had because I didn't even realize it. My wife pointed it out the other day. And she was like, "Isn't that a famous actor?" I was like, "Is it?" And I looked it up. I was like, "Oh yeah, it is." <laughs> yeah, and Chad Johnson is most uh, the, the most unlikable reality star I could possibly think of. Yeah, but he grew on me. But I haven't finished. I'll admit right now, I'm still on season two. I haven't finished it yet. I'm on like episode three of season two. I tried as hard as I could to catch up on every episode by the time this interview happened. It just did not work out. <laughs> That's okay. There's a lot of them. Does everybody know a Chad though? I feel like everybody does. Everybody does. Because I knew a Chad when I worked at Walmart and he was a lot like Chad. <laughs> he was a manager, so I couldn't really tell him that but. It's like an astrological sign. I think some people are just born under the Chad. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. But he's not, I think that's the only Chad I've known. There might have been a Chad in high school, but if there was, I don't remember him. <laughs> you either really remember him or you don't remember him at all. It's one of the two. <laughs> so when we get started today, um, I want to throw out different random questions because I'm sure a lot of interviews you've done, because you've done interviews before, so people have probably asked you a lot of the same questions. Yeah. And I do not want to be that person, but I will leave at least one to let people know where you got started with writing in general. Ooh. Uh, I'm trying to think of what my first story was. I know the first um, series of stories uh, that I told. Um, was back in Cub Scouts and uh, we start telling stories around the campfire. So my grandmother had uh, brought home a blank book from the dollar store. Uh, and oh, I, nice. I, I colored it in, in a very goosebumps style because that was a huge deal at the time when I was a kid, like everybody was all about goosebumps books. Um, so I made my own goosebumps cover to the different stories um, and then wrote the stories in the book. I still have the book. Um, I mean, they, they have really, uh, they're about as good as you think they would be. Like Tales of yeah. the, Psycho, the Psycho Student, uh, The Psycho Student 2, Psycho Student's Revenge. I mean, it that sounds pretty amazing to me. <laughs> Attack of the Killer Doll. It was, yeah, it's a whole thing. Because when I was a kid, I think probably around 12 was when I started writing little short stories too. And I tried to do a whole thing with vampires. I unfortunately don't have access to it anymore, but I really wish I did because I wish I could go back and see the things I wrote as a teenager. Yeah, I kept all that stuff. That's awesome. And I, talking about Goosebumps, I was a huge fan of Goosebumps too. So that, that clicked with me immediately. So we both grew up with Goosebumps, which is pretty cool. Big props to R.L. Stein. Stephen yeah, so King for kids. I know that Chad actually has quite a few episodes that are horror inspired. And I know... You even included a Crystal Lake, which of course is going to strike true to anyone who's a Friday the 13th fan. So what are some other kind of inspirations that you draw from to add into your podcast? I'm a big uh, fan of Ray Bradbury. Um, I think he's he's hands down one of my, my favorite authors. 
Um, and I think particularly because, uh, you know, living in New England, autumn is, is imbued with horror here. Um, there's so many classic tropes of, of horror and around Halloween. And as soon as leaves start to turn, New England just has a very different feel. And I think uh, Ray Bradbury embodied what that energy is in a fantastic way. Um, he also told amazing stories um, with words, really conjuring you to a place in time or understanding people or the mind of a child. Um, really beautiful descriptions. Um, he's certainly a big inspiration. Uh, Stephen King is certainly a big inspiration. Um, yeah, both of which are my favorite authors. And I think yeah. as far as horror goes, um, Fallout has such dark moments and yes, varying degrees of horror. Because when you stop and think about it, um, all uh, technicolor-hued brightness aside, with the palette that we now have for Fallout 4 and Fallout 76, it's pretty dark. Yeah, yeah, and Asher and I were actually talking about some of the horror elements on the previous episode too, because even the ghouls are basically like zombies. So there's a horror element there. Forget the ghouls, but the scorched. Now think yeah. about this. This is a plague that you can get very easily, and you don't die. You get green crystals that grow out from your bones the surface of your skin and you you get shriveled up and essentially burned from within and become slave to a hive mind what the hell is that <laughs> it's pretty crazy i mean when you stop it's it's terrifying like that is and worse painful. that's worse than than a zombie i think because the conversion process of that must hurt like that must really yeah, that's what I was just thinking. I didn't even know. See, I'm not, I played Fallout 76, but I'm not well versed in the lore for it because I haven't got deep into it. So I didn't know that level of detail on the Scorch. So that's pretty insane. Yeah, it's creepy. And then even you got mole miners are, are another really sad story that harkens back to a time in our history when there almost was a second world war um, because of the the issue between really capitalism uh, capitalism and exploitation of of miners and workers um that also is mirrored in the fallout world and what happens to these people over time you you become trapped in these suits um surviving underground after the bombs dropped being heavily irradiated um to the point that you can't exist in the surface world anymore. And it reminds me very much of the Morlocks uh, from H.G. Wells' The Time Machine. It's the same kind of thing where this, this subterranean society developed that couldn't really survive on the surface anymore. Right. Yeah, it's really crazy stuff. They really, even like, I think you and I both got our, I believe, because I remember hearing you on another interview that you got your start with Fallout 3. Yeah. Yep. that's where I started as well. And I remember one of the first things that creeping out in that game was those centaurs. Yeah. And I don't know too much detail on them, but I know that they were really freaky. <laughs> and they were, 
the result oh. of some kind of experiment that had to do with the mutants. I remember that. They're walking on all arms. Yeah, and they have like half a million tongues sticking and out like, of <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 John Carpenter uh, gone mad. It's yeah. It's Yeah, those were ultimate body horror. And that's not even the worst stuff. Um if you've ever seen the Fallout 3 concept art uh from Adam Adamowicz, Adamo, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Um, who's the the Bethesda um, Fallout concept artist for for years for Fallout Three uh, and Fallout Four? I don't think he worked on New Vegas, but um, some of the the concepts that he came up with for creatures are just really terrifying. I remember being really unsettled by one that essentially just vomits out its stomach. Oh, geez! To digest things and then just sort of takes it all back in. I'm thinking, wow, that would have been disgusting. Yeah, I'm kind of glad that did not make it into the game. <laughs> Could you imagine the animation of being eaten by that thing? It would be just as terrifying as uh, that goddamn baby thing in the new Resident Evil game. Yes, I know exactly what, what you're talking about. The from hell Village. is that? That was the scariest part of the entire the most game. Unsettling uh, thing I have seen in a video game in a while. I agree. That was like the scariest thing of the whole game because I wasn't anticipating it, and I was like, "What is this?" <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, it's going to choke me. Oh, oh, okay. I guess I'm getting eaten now. That's yeah. Yeah, That's they bad. went. They went for the jugular with that. <laughs> yes. Dead joke. Ten points. So when it comes to like your writing for Chad, I know that you write out like whole seasons ahead of time. But how do you get into your? Oh, you don't. I thought you did. No. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, well, I know where I'm going, but it's mostly all in my head. Um, in a very uh, unstructured fashion. I know the beats of what needs to happen each episode. Um, right. I mean, as far as season two goes, now that we're in the latter half of the season and things are ramping up um, as we get towards the season two finale, which is going to be all out war. Um, every character that has ever been in the show is is going to be coming back in, in an epic fashion. Um, so I know how how all of the stories in the remaining season need to go. Beyond that, um, I wrote the last scene of the last episode the same time that I wrote episode four um, way back in season one, which was kind of a soft reboot of the show. So it went from holotape style stories, um, kind of like another podcast, Aaron Close, Mind Fog. He did right. uh, like holotape stories in the the form of Fallout 4. Um, I started out doing that, but that really limits you in terms of the size and scale of stories that you can really tell. Yes. Um, so episode four, I brought in a, a full cast that has, has continued to grow. Um, and I knew how I wanted season four, which will be our final season to end. I know how I want the entire story to, to end. So everything, uh, so I'm working my way backwards from that point. Yeah, but I guess at least as long as you have an ending, you just know that you're writing towards the ending. So at least you know where it's going to end. My mind, when I'm trying to write stuff, I literally just come up with it on the spot. So I don't even have an ending. And it's just, I continue to write until... I think in our case, because at this point, we're we're juggling a lot of characters and complicated arcs that, that we've built up, particularly now. Um and as things go along, I find that shows that don't know how the story ends and just kind of figure it out as they go along season to season, you can usually tell those shows because they end 
in a really unsatisfying way for, yeah. for the listener or the viewer. And I did not want people to be unsatisfied. Um, yeah, the, ending, we... the ending of this story is going to be incredibly meaningful, I think, by the time we get there. That's awesome. How are you able to focus in? Because like you said, you have a wide array of casts. Do you write your character specifically for the voice cast or does the voice cast come in after you've already written the characters? No, we have a, a core ensemble of characters that are in every episode. Um, and then there are floating characters that are kind of secondary um, that aren't necessary to move the main arc along, which is the, the, the huge arc that spans our four seasons. Um, which is really understanding what the Appalachia experiment was and why Vault 76 um, is the way that it is and why things are really unusual in Appalachia. Why can't we um, leave the region? Why are resources so plentiful? Who set up these workshops? Um, it's all very odd when you stop to think about it. And most importantly, why can't we die? Why can't the characters perish? That's something that the characters find out at the beginning of season one that really starts our story going. Um, and it creates a real problem because when you think about it, if death stops and it has no consequence, we make different choices we take greater risks. Um, we also become more cruel towards others. Right. Because if you just don't like someone, you can just shoot them in the face. And it doesn't matter because they come back to life, no harm, no foul. Um, that changes what the definition of humanity is, um, which is really the, the crux of our story. And you have, in a survival situation, um, you would have people look at this as an insurance policy, that the world is dangerous, there's no emergency services to help us, we're all on our own. Um, so you'd want something like that, where if you do die, it's not permanent, or someone that you love dies, it's not permanent, you don't lose them. On the other hand, you have people who look at what vault Tech did to set this in motion by corrupting the, the very soul and essence of every single one of the 500 people that set foot into Vault 76 and turned them into an experiment who want the experiment to end, that think that this is an abomination and want to restore natural order. And therein lies our conflict, and what, what, that's the march to war that we're really on now. Right. And one of my favorite things about your show is also how you kind of break the fourth wall and you include those game mechanics and even some of the bugs within your story. That makes for some hilarious moments. Well, I explained it away in that um, once you, you find out what is responsible for the resurrection, um, it's explained already that when you come back, it's like creating a copy of a copy. Right each time a little bit less of you comes back. Um, you also start to, to manifest hallucinations. So if you see things like uh, glitches in reality, where you're looking into a void with, with code words kind of floating there, 
you see someone uh, T-posing floating down the street, um, it's fine because you're just hallucinating. Yeah. And what I think it was... It's respawn psychosis. And I think it was season one as well, which was one of my favorite ones, was when you were going with that super mutant that was buying the food and everybody kind of froze in place. And I immediately... Oh, I immediately associated that with AFK, like away from keyboard people. And I was like, this is freaking genius. <laughs> yeah, that was during uh, Meet Week. So Simon is, is at Meet Week. Um, and he notices that that one by one, people are contracting AFK, in which you are, are frozen in place permanently. And you can't move, you can't speak. Um, Simon eventually ends up catching it when he's trapped in Helvetia in a repeating time loop where he has to march in a parade for all eternity. It's eventually, so, he does break out, but it's so funny though. And I, I really liked how you did that because I was like, he's breaking the fourth wall and he's including the actual like bugs and stuff like that within the story itself. And I think that's really cool. Even like, thank you. And even uh, the atomic shop is, is, is a looming threat. Um, in that the first time that, that Simon actually is killed and ends up there, he finds himself in this um, Twilight Zone-esque infinite warehouse, um, just filled with furniture and paint uh, and power armor and water slides and all of this random junk. And he's trying to figure out what this is and how to get out of there. Every time someone dies, they end up in this place, almost like it's a purgatory. Yeah, and that was actually, when you first went there, it actually gave me the chills. I was like, this is really well done, and it's really creepy when you have, like, the ghosts of players who've been banned yeah, <laughs> that shadows, are in there. The shadows yeah. of the band. I was like, this is amazing, because like I said, I'm a huge, I'm into horror and paranormal stuff, so when you add little elements of that, it draws me in more. If you listen to what they're saying, the voices are distorted, but they're saying things like Fallout 76 sucks. Yeah, that was one of Stop the first playing ones. this. <laughs> it's like one of the first ones I heard. I was like, oh, this isn't just the people who have been banned. It's all the haters over here. Yes. <laughs> Which is pretty cool. Stop having fun. So I want to dive in a little bit because I think some of my favorite episodes have always been the horror ones and the Halloween ones. So yeah. I'd like for you to talk a little bit about the Halloween ones. I know the first one of season two was actually a longer episode than yeah. uh, the original one. Yeah, the first proper Halloween story that we did was a flashback um, to the vault. It was the, the final Halloween that they spent inside the vault. Um, and something really important happens in there. Um, it starts out simple enough where... Uh, you have Simon and Jake and then Chad's gang getting ready for the the yearly Halloween festival that the overseer puts together. And they have things like karaoke and uh, dunking for apples um, and their teacher telling uh, ghost stories and doing the the cheesy thing where, you know, you're putting your hands into a bowl of spaghetti. Um, right. And Chad fools somebody by, you know, it, it's not a carrot. Um <laughs> typical chad fashion typical chad fashion um and then the kids uh decide in in a very rite of passage way to go explore the ruins of level 13 um in our lore and this is kind of something that didn't make sense to me um for what our mission is supposed to be 
which uh, Fallout 76 is described as a control vault. Back in Fallout 3, it very specifically says that everything will work perfectly. Um, they'll have every accommodation possible, the best of the best of everything. That's why our vault looks so different than even Vault 101. Um, it's pristine, it's well-decorated, it's pointed. There's, there's really nothing that we wanted for. And then our mission um, was to go out and restart civilization. But when you think about it, that makes no sense. Um, for one thing, on your way out the door, you're handed a handful of water bottles, yeah. one, one rat away, uh, a bundle of wood, and then, you know, a camp module. And it, with all of the resources that's still inside that vault, that didn't make a hell of a lot of sense to me. Um, so the way I spun it, um, is that the experiment that vault was, was doing with vault 76 residents began the moment the door opened. So reclamation day was the start of the experiment. Right. Um, the original plan was to have a series of leaders. So the leaders who would take charge after the vault opened and actually bring us together to build farms and get technology going again, repair infrastructure, fix cars. Um, the people that you would need um, all were on level 13 and were killed on Halloween when there was a detonation in there that collapsed most of that level. The kids go down there looking uh, and end up meeting a ghost. Right. And he tells them ghost stories uh, in, a, in a very kind of Garfield Halloween adventure. Um, they leave and he fades away at the stroke of 12. Um, but something that he says in there is that he, he didn't, he saw the person running away who did it, but couldn't see their face except for a scar. And that's a really important point because we'll, we'll be revisiting that in season four. I like that. I like that you put little tidbits and episodes and then later on down the line, they'll mean something. There's always a, a payoff. And partly because there again, I know where I'm going. So right. I can I can drop in little bits early enough that you're like, oh yeah. So that's what that was. Yeah. And I thought when they encountered that ghost in the level 13, I thought it felt very Tales from the Crypty as well. Yeah. And I really like that. Yeah, like where they're eating food and then all of a sudden the food starts to rot. Yeah. That reminded me of the Lost Boys. Yep. When he's eating the Chinese food, and then it's maggots, and then it's Chinese food again. So there's a lot of little things I could draw comparisons to. You know, there was unfortunately no Michael Sembella who could get in there playing a saxophone in the corner as much as I wanted. <laughs> that would have been amazing that if you could have gotten that in there. <laughs> Freaking insanely buff guy playing saxophone. I remember that's the first thing I noticed in The Lost doing? Boys. I was like, this dude is insanely in really good shape. <laughs> he's just playing a saxophone. 80s were a wild time. Yeah, they really were. So yes, that I was, that was our our first Halloween episode. Yeah, yeah, that was the first one. So I I'm going to give you time to talk about the second one. But I also wanted to get into. I feel like doing an audio drama like the way you do it is almost harder than possibly writing like a television show because you're relying solely on audio. Like you don't have the visuals, so you kind of have to translate that all into an audio. Is it more difficult to do that? It may be for some people. I don't think it is for me, partly because I've been listening to, to audio drama 
since I was a kid. So when it comes time to write a script, I know how it needs to, to sound and how I can um, recreate action or uh, build a soundscape by, by picking the right sounds um, and getting you to, to really visualize things. And also, as I'm writing, I think about if, if I was watching a movie and the action was happening on screen, how would that sound if you turn the picture off? Um, so even when it comes uh, like the sickle man throwing his sickle, yeah. um, you hear it go from left to right. Um, since I composed the show um, in surround sound with headphones, I'm able to really play with positioning a lot to, to give you that kind of immersion that you're, you feel like you're in the scene or um, you can hear the movement of people in the room as it goes from left ear to right ear. Yeah. That's something I really like because it's like extremely dynamic how you really feel like you're in the scene as you're listening, which is something that lends credit to the show. Thank you. Yeah. I, I wanted to do that too, because I think people have a, a misunderstanding of what podcasts are um, in that I think a lot of people still haven't listened to them or they think that it's like a, a book on tape. Yeah. It's very <laughs> audible driven. <laughs> yeah. Or it's, it's kind of like that. And you're like, I don't know if I want to sit and listen to somebody just read. Um, but I wanted to, to make the show really dynamic uh, with a lot of action going on and music. Um to draw people in who would maybe never consider listening to a podcast before. Right. And it does stand out because there are some podcasts, like you said, that really are just someone reading. Yeah. Which so is like, fine. I, and I enjoy no, yeah. driven podcasts. It's just not what I wanted to do. Yeah. I really like the way you do it. Okay. So we now we'll hop into the second Halloween episode, which is the start of season two, the longer episode. I want you to talk a little bit about that because it was a freaking phenomenal episode. <laughs> yeah. This, this was my favorite episode. Uh, it's, it no longer is because it's been replaced by something else. Um, but this, this story, um, Halloween in October country, um, was my love letter to what I feel is the greatest, um, Halloween story ever created, uh, by Ray Bradbury, uh, something wicked this way comes. Um, I, Growing up, uh, the Disney Channel in the 80s was very odd um, in that they didn't have a lot of properties to really leverage then on the Disney Channel. And so what you ended up with was a lot of um, really weird kids' movies from other countries, from Canada, Australia, a lot of which were really dark, but in an awesome way. It's stuff that you would never see on the Disney Channel in a million years now. Right. Um, like the disney movie the black hole oh my god is that a dark twisted movie and it's like it's a kids movie but you know you have uh people who are corpses um that are are still alive that have had the life essence sucked out of them that's insane <laughs> you've got murdering robots uh that sounds like fallout yeah, it's just, it, it was a really dark, uh, so it was this great period for really weird kids' movies. And I remember seeing um, their version of Something Wicked This Way Comes that had Jonathan Price as Mr. Dark, um, who did so, so well in that role. He's menacing, um, manipulative, 
he's just uh, a beautiful devil-like figure. Now, the movie um, was quite different in a lot of respects from the original novel, and I like them both, but um, there's there's something about that, that coming-of-age story um, and this quiet, kind of desolate town that gets visited by by the the shadow people um coming from the dust the the autumn people to to prey on sin and it, at the time that season 1 ended um when Simon and Chad are put on trial they're put on trial for everything awful that they've done the first year and it's also a reflection of the choices that players made in Fallout 76 when you think about them creating the game, um, I think in the beginning, Bethesda, it was a little bit like Voltec in that 76 was a sandbox. They, they created it. They didn't know what it was going to be or, right. or how we would really play it. Even though PVP was, was heavily focused and incentivized, I think they were really curious to see what would happen. Um, as soon as we walked out the door, you know, we didn't build farms. We we ran for the nearest nuclear silo and started blowing things up. And, <laughs> I mean, as, as far as uh, the task of restarting civilization, we didn't do a great job. So Simon and Chad get put on trial. Simon realizes he's a villain, and Gwent's the 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 vulnerability of dark choices that we've made it it seemed like the perfect story to have a, a, a reflection of the devil uh, which mr dark represents uh, of temptation and corruption um visiting appalachia and he does the uh the story sees simon uh at the, the jack-o'-lantern the pumpkin house carving jack-o'-lanterns Yep, uh, and he hears a train whistle, and um, the beats of that story follow some of the story uh, from the book and the movie. In that, Chad hears the train coming as well, and everyone goes running to see how is how is there a train coming to Appalachia, a working train, and it ends up, of course, being Mister Dark's pandemonium sideshow. Um, that sets up the the amusement park and circus and carnival to lure people in. And one by one, they all get claimed and corrupted in really dark ways, um, yep. which is appropriate for his name. Um, yeah, the, the voice actor um, who did Mr. Dark really, really nailed that part. Um, he did so good with it. Um, to the point that he became a real fan favorite, uh, that people wanted him to come back. And I'll get to that story later. Uh, Jessica, who's been playing Susie and Ella almost exclusively had the opportunity to play something a little different. The dust, Witch, um, Mr. Dark's kind of right hand woman that had the ability to bind and enchant. And we get a flashback scene in the very beginning, um, where we see how the dust, Witch came to be in right. He, he found someone and harvested her, <laughs> pulled her into the shadows and made her one of his own. 
like a lot of the people who work the show. Um, so of course, Simon and Chad battle off against him. And this is an episode where a lot of secrets come out. We finally start to understand Chad's motivation a little more. Um, how deeply attached and how he's become a real father figure to Susie, which right. is something I think that caught people very unexpected because at the start of season one, when you first meet Simon, you don't realize that he's, he's a false, um, he's a false protagonist. He's a very unreliable narrator. You're hearing his side of the story, which is distortion of what Chad really is, um, or who he is. He ends up taking Susie in. Um, she slowly stops murdering people <laughs> so <laughs> casually. Um, and they start to form a real fatherly bond with her. He takes her trick or treating, which I think is that Minnesota is the first time that we see that side of him. Um, where he's really just trying to, to give her the opportunities and moments of happiness that he didn't have because his father was a drunken bastard. Right. And I think that's also really cool too, because his character starts to grow on you actually after a while. That was very, I'm, I'm glad. Um, I knew where I wanted to take Chad, but I wanted to do it really, really slowly so that over time you start to like him and you don't really understand why. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. And then you start realizing, well, it, some of that I think has to do with the relationship with Susie. Yeah. Because as they build their bond, you start to get attached to both of them together. And I can imagine Susie's probably one of the most popular characters on the show as well. Oh, she's a really well done character. Yeah. And so is Ella, her, her talking doll. Uh, Ella's freaking kick. hilarious. <laughs> I had intended to kill off Ella, but she became so popular. And Jessica became really attached to her. She's like, you can't kill her, no yeah i actually almost thought that's where you were going with the halloween episode with mr dark where ella kind of like has the electrical interference and can't talk i was like oh he's gonna kill her off by the end of this episode but i was actually glad to see it didn't happen <laughs> yeah ella ella is an interesting character and we're going to get more of her backstory finally towards the end of the season to even understand what she is but um it's a talking doll that's based on thomas edison's talking dolls um, which survived for a hot minute and were the biggest commercial flop of a Christmas toy ever seen. Partly because, um, so picture, and if, if you look it up on YouTube, you need to, to listen to hear how these things talk because it's straight up nightmare fuel. They're beautiful porcelain dolls um, and they're, they're quite large. So imagine a, a child turn of century unwrapping this thing and you you pull the string and a wax cylinder um, creates this distorted voice that's like twinkle, twinkle, little star, you'll <laughs> find bodies in your car. And he's like, what? What'd yeah, you you're say? like, uh, I'm out of here. <laughs> this thing's possessed. The voice, of, yeah, the voice of it was really unsettling. So children rejected them. They were terrified of the toys. Parents were returning them. It, it ended up being an embarrassing flop for Thomas Edison. But I've always been fascinated by how creepy those things are. Um, so I created a Robco variant of it. But there was something really unique about Ella. Um, her, the the store um, manager of the toy department uh, was found killed uh, 
Um, and the next morning, uh, Susie visiting her father's department store in Charleston ends up finding Ella and taking her home. And that's when Ella starts to talk to her and get her to do things like play with matches or, you know, put arsenic yeah. in, in lemonade and feed it to people. <laughs> Random off the cuff question. Yeah. Ella and Chucky, who's winning that fight? Oh, it would be Ella. I would actually think the same thing, to be honest. I mean, because Chucky has one supernatural ability, which is to just transfer his soul into somebody else. Ella has actual supernatural powers to the point that um, she goes toe-to-toe with the Dust Witch um, in the next episode that we'll talk about for Halloween. But uh, she also compelled during the trial um, the, the psychologist who was interviewing Susie, was was making Susie upset. So when Susie stepped out of the room, uh, Ella compelled him to have a heart attack and die. That was freaking amazing. <laughs> that kind of reminded me, not to get too graphic, but that reminded me of, um, if you've ever seen Wishmaster. Oh, yeah, the, I think horrible... ages ago. Yeah, what is your wish? Yeah, and he is able to do the wish, and he makes the guy like screw himself, which was a really disturbing point of the movie. That was, yeah, <laughs> but that kind of—that's why I said not to get too graphic because I try to be as family friendly as possible. But Ella being able to control the heart attack kind of gave a flashback of a similar situation where they could kind of just make you do what they want you to do. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to—you don't want to piss off Ella. Um, no. I mean, she's very protective of Susie. The reason that Mr. Dark gets her out of the way in this episode immediately is because she has the the gift of foresight. So she knew he was coming. She also knew what he was, and she knew that Susie would be in danger. So she tries to warn them, and she does it really unsuccessfully. Um, the The end of the story presents an interesting problem in that Simon, his soul is bared and you finally understand what the hell has been motivating him and what he really wants. And it's something he can never have in a really brutal way because dark sees through everyone, everyone's secrets, their darkest desires, their dreams, it, or they're all laid out in front of him and all he has to do is look at you. So he knows exactly what Simon is um, and offers him the ability to, or offers him the choice to join them in the carnival. Chad rejects it. Immediately. Um, yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, go to hell. Um, As Chad's do. <laughs> what they don't know is that things are different than the last time that they were in Appalachia. Um, so something happens. I won't spoil it for anybody listening if they haven't heard it, but uh Chad gets the upper hand over the dust witch. Um, and, and when she realizes that her, her ability is, is kind of impotent when it comes to, to taking him on. Um, there's a, a really great finale that takes place at the, the Ferris wheel, which in the story uh, and also the movie has the ability to move people forward and backward through time, their own personal time. So they can become older or younger and Dark offers to give Simon a second chance to roll him back to the point in time before his parents were killed uh, and died. His father died on sugar bombs. 
His mom yeah, was that was a that was an interesting was, thought. His mom was eaten by rad roaches, um, which is both funny and sad at the same time. Yeah, and which is kind of like uh, Fallout Three. If you choose to not save the Tunnel Snakes leader's mom, she's basically eaten by rad roaches. Yeah, it's uh, Simon's one last chance at happiness, of course, is denied when when Chad comes in and and fights Dark uh, and ends up not only breaking the machine, but rewinding point in time back to the beginning of the episode. Right. The difference is that no one remembers what happened. The only one who does is Simon, uh, which makes everything all the worse because he remembers what happened and he remembers it was his one chance at happiness um denied and that chad and took it from him as chad and, and, <laughs> and that chad took it from him once again um there's something um the music for that episode is something i'm really proud of and happy with particularly the ending song which is just this beautiful lo-fi um composition uh, that we had done that is almost like um almost like a post-rock funeral dirge and the beats of the song play out moving you through the seasons of someone's life and when it gets to the end of the song the song just cuts out <laughs> that's right the end of the episode one thing I want to actually talk about is Mr. Dark a little bit more because I think one of the coolest things about him was the tattoos. How that factors into him sucking you in is by the different art of the tattoos and how they move around and stuff like that. I thought that was a really cool touch. Yeah, there's um, the tattoos were something that these the illustrated man um, is is something that there's a duality with for Bradbury's concern because he mentions that character a few times. Um, the Illustrated Man is 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 the name of of one of his books. It's a series of standalone stories with a wraparound story about an illustrated man who goes to a witch um, to to become the greatest illustrated man of all time. She paints him with these really uh, supernatural inks and stories play out in his tattoos they come to life and one of them tells the future um the idea of movement with his tattoos because in the bradbury story they're they're kind of uh static you know these he's painted but they don't really do much so i thought it would be interesting if dark uses them to bind people in the right. same way that uh freddy krueger kind of takes souls into himself and you know he's their faces just sort of hang out in his chest. Yep. Um, Dark ends up binding people to him, uh, and he they become part of his tattoos. So all that's left of him is this, um, the Dust Witch, um, Mr. Cougar. They're all just shadows of life with no souls. It was very cool. It almost feels very comic book villain-esque as well. Like he would be a perfect villain for any superhero of any comic book. Yeah. And and I I love I love playing villains, but I love writing villains more. Uh and I think you can really tell that because uh I think it's my best writing. Uh it was at the time. I I loved 
how that episode came together um, in both sound and also getting a little bit of that Bradbury flair in terms of how things are described or um, some of the dialogue that's written is very Bradbury sounding. Yeah, you do a very, very good job of that. And that's going to spin off a little bit because even in the Christmas episodes, the mini Christmas episodes, I actually felt like Santa was very villain-esque as well. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that post-apocalyptic Christmas story, um, I was thinking about how, for one thing, in Fallout 76, uh, there's no real Santa. You've got a Santa Tron who just walks right. around and talks about how we've all been bad and how everyone is dead <laughs> is awful um and then you also have uh scorched running around in in festive holiday outfits and it's all just very depressing so i started to think um if rankin bass and in fallout were kind of merged in a blender what the result would be so you have santa just incredibly broken at the north pole uh, which is now completely melted um, because of the the amount of of nuclear destruction on the planet, just incredibly um, mopey and depressed, and now an alcoholic because the world ended, and the people that are left are just complete monsters. Yeah, it was it was really cool though. I really liked the way it played out. And you had two of them. There was two separate ones, I believe, because you come back in the second, the second one, and he's looking back on Appalachia again. Yeah, he uh, looking through his magical crystal ball, and it's I, I kind of corrupted the Rankin Bass, but there's a lot of nods in there to the to Rankin Bass. Uh, like he's his ability to look down on Appalachia is the the magic snowball that the Winter Warlock gave to him. That's a Rankin Bass. That's Santa Claus is coming to town. Um, Yukon Cornelius uh, and and his uh, domestic partner, uh, the Abominable Snowman, the Yeti, yeah. Are, yeah, are asked to hitch up the sleigh. There's Jingle and Jangle, the elves that are trying to. Uh, and then there's a really embarrassing character, uh, which is Santa's new wife that I, I wish I hadn't wrote. <laughs> You're like, I'm just not going to get into that. Yeah. I still feel like the voice actress who ever played that part actually did do a that was very me. good job, though. Was that actually you? Yeah. You see, well, then I've got to give you credit because I would have never known that. I mean, even the name of the character is a little bit much. And at this point, I feel like, um, I feel like the writing that I'm doing now is the kind of writing I always wanted to do. Um, right. So doing this, that character is so off the wall and offensive. Uh, yeah. People, <laughs> people like her. The only thing I was holding out for was hoping that actual Krampus would make an appearance. <laughs> and he didn't actually make one. And I'm like, I'm hoping he factors this in somewhere in the future. <laughs> there was going to be, and I ended up not doing it. Um, so originally, um, Ella was going to be a servant of Krampus. And one of our Christmas episodes that we ended up not doing was uh, Krampus being the sheep squatch um, coming to Appalachia to destroy the world and nice. just happened to decide to start there uh, with Ella being a servant of Krampus. 
that's where I could see maybe that wouldn't work out because with Ella's personality, Ella's not a servant of anybody. <laughs> no, it but I also it, we ended up doing something else anyway, and I was like, yeah, it's all right. I also like how on one of the episodes going in, you allowed other people to write their own stories. Yeah. How did you come up with the idea that you're like, you know what? I want to involve the community in this and let them do their own thing and factor it in. Cause I think that was really cool of you to do something like that. I wanted the, the, the voice actors um, to feel a sense of ownership for their characters. Um, and part of the problem is because it, there's a lot that goes into our stories. Uh, like at this point, it's, it's like writing a feature film each time I do an episode. <laughs> Right. It feels uh, and, very much like on every episode. And as much as I would love to crank them out faster, I just can't write that quickly. So um, the writers getting involved in writing their own mini-sos and coming up with stories and having Christian produce them on the side worked really well. And that they've been able to, to take their characters in different directions without me not having room for it in some of the larger stories. So you get a lot of character buildup between... Um, like Susie and Punch, where they go make tea, and that goes about as well as you think it would. Um, <laughs> you've got Brian and Marianne, and and now their their adopted ward, the ghoul Becky, um, and their scouting adventures or misadventures. Um, minisodes with with Chad, and you get more of their backstory. Um, it's really fun little stories, uh, stories of, of of what happened. Um, when Simon first emerged from the vault, so meeting Mr. Messenger, uh, getting trapped in Helvetia, Meat Week, and all of those kind of things. Yeah, I think it, the cast of characters you have really sells the show because almost every single character that I can think of is very memorable in their own right. Yeah, thank you. I, I wanted to, I didn't want any of our characters to be just two-dimensional. And I think, I think it's hard to to have a really fleshed out fallout character yeah. um, because they're limited by the choices that you make in a dialogue tree and they can't really do a lot um, really the the most character development we get are companions in the games who can actually accompany us on adventures um, and you can go personal quests with them to understand a little bit more of the the backstory of it um but aside from npcs that you meet they're kind of two-dimensional even though they have backstories and that you can't really build on them too much so at least with our characters i really wanted to to get you to like them or hate them or get conflicted by liking and hating them uh and even get into relationship dynamics uh, between amada and jake and you know, finally getting to get a relationship together and then Simon being this odd third wheel in yeah. that relationship. You know, it's always it's really funny. awkward when he's factored into that situation. Yeah, it's a really weird three-way relationship. It's kind of strange, but yeah. No, we only have a little bit more time here because I realized this hour has almost flown by, which is exactly what I said was going to happen. That's, That's okay. That's okay. Um, But I did notice from following you on Twitter since we follow each other on Twitter that you've actually got something else in the works that I think is going to be potentially huge and that you're going to be doing another audio drama, but it's going to be in the universe of Starfield. Yeah. I'm really excited about it. Um, this came about uh, a, a few ways for one thing. Um, 
this our season two will be coming to an end. And based on what happens in the season two finale, it's a good pause point before we dive back in again with season three. And in between then, uh, because I've been writing Chad for a good three years now, juggling huge character arcs and stories, um, the idea of doing an anthology series was really appealing to me. And I'm a big fan of um, shows like The Outer Limits, The Twilight Zone, uh, both the originals and then like the 80s and 90s, these, the redos of them. Um, where you have these nice bite-sized stories um, that are just told in a short but compelling fashion um, where I don't have to deal with any of that. Um, yeah. And plus it's sci-fi. I've been wanting to tell some sci-fi stories for a while. It seems like a, a good jumping off point. Um, Starfield is also a brand new IP, so you don't have to deal with existing lore. Right. Um, you can kind of do anything um so the the plan for these there will be 15 episodes in season one of frontier stories from starfield and they are anthology stories they're not connected in any way um they're fun standalone stories with different tones uh different styles and a completely different cast each time so we run the gambit from uh really thought-provoking coming-of-age stories to uh, horror, to cosmic horror, um, to comedy, just, just a whole gamut of different stories from a bunch of different writers. Um, of the 15 stories, I'm writing three of them, the first two and then the last one. Yeah, I'm really going to be looking forward to that because I think the second you said that you were doing a Starfield one, I was like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> I got super excited because I was like, even right now, like you just said, you've got basically an open slate for that because we really don't know much about Starfield, even yeah. right now. <laughs> you know, we've I, I I started last year after E3 to put out a call for for voice actors and writers. Um, we we've got writers all set for season one, which I'm really excited about um, because they they know science fiction. Um, they're also actors, directors, and writers in their own right. Um, so it's great. So the, the quality of the writing uh, is going to be there, so I can just sit back and produce the episodes. Um, so they have that same kind of immersive storytelling and soundscapes that you're used to from our show, just in space. Um, the the other thing that, that was really surprising is the amount of voice talent that had interest in the project. There are now 114 professional voice actors Whoa. <laughs> who, who, are, are, who put their hat in the ring for characters that we haven't even written yet. Um, That's awesome. Yes, so the, the auditioning process for the characters once the scripts are completed, which will be in the next few months, is going to be really exciting. That would actually would have been another question was how you developed your cast. Was there, was it the same with Chad? It was kind of like an audition process or did you just meet people through playing the game and then factor them into it that way? Uh, for the Chad show or the Starfield one? Uh, we'll do Chad and then you could say, well, you just mentioned the voice for Starfield was uh, auditioning. Yeah. Yeah, for, uh, for Starfield, I was just putting out a casting call. Since my point was there, since we don't know a lot about the game, one of the, the questions that uh, somebody asked us on Reddit, well, we don't know a lot about the game. How can you possibly write stories? Because you don't need to know the details of the game to write a good story. Um, because 
as far as storytelling goes, they're all human stories, all of them. And even if you could take um, any Outer Limits or Twilight Zone story, and it always is about people and common uh, storytelling tropes, whether it's um, man against nature, man against self, all of those, those common uh, story types um, play out regardless of the set dressing, which is the locations that we're going to see in Starfield, the technology that we'll see in Starfield, or uh, the people, places, that kind of thing. Um, so we didn't need to know any of that. All of us at this point have a really good idea of the stories we want to tell and have started writing them. And once we know more, which is probably going to be probably June, July, whenever Hopefully. Bethesda, yeah, whenever Bethesda does drop uh, an info dump uh, that shows gameplay and explains more, we can then color in those those missing pieces. Like if a character needs to get drunk, and there's there's a Starfield beer, then then we'll put the name of that in. But Star Juice, Star <laughs> Juice, yeah, Star Juice. Um, so we didn't need any of that to write the story. Um, and any of the, the, the characters that will be in my stories, uh, I'm filling from our cast first. Um, so we'll be keeping the ensemble together. The first story I'm really excited about. Um, I knew that story came to me last year. And um, it's both sad and awe-inspiring. But I think it's going to have people thinking by the time they're done. I'm really excited for that, as well as for the continuation of Chad going forward. Yeah, once you're going to have a lot of questions once season two ends. All right, I guess that's going to do it for this episode, but I want to give you a chance to let everybody know where they can find, because I know you have a YouTube as well as you're on like all major platforms, but I want to give you a chance to let everybody know where to listen to Chad. Yeah, you can find us on on any any podcast player that there is out there. Most people listen to us on Spotify uh, and Apple are the two biggest ones. Um, but we're also on Amazon Music, Audible, um, really any any podcasting platform out there. You can also find uh, the stories uh, in some video form as well, where we actually uh, had machinima or live acted stuff out on our YouTube channel. So if you just look up Chad of at 76 Story on YouTube, you'll you'll find our channel. That actually is going to, I'm going to have two quick other questions now, because that, have you ever thought about getting an animator to animate some of your episodes? Uh, it is expensive and time consuming. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I would assume it would be expensive. It would be really cool. Hey, listeners out there, do it for free. Like just do one and send it if you're a fan. Nobody wants to do anything for free. <laughs> some I people would. would. You'd be surprised. I would want to do something for free. Um, we did for, for QuakeCon, we did a, a Chad Machinima, which was a, a prequel to the, Sik uh, the Sickle Man story, um, which we didn't even have a chance to talk about. Um, no, we didn't. Which I mean, we still our, got a little bit of time. I mean, I've got a little time, uh, which is our, our homage to every 80s slasher out there. So we did a Machinima where we acted out um, the intro to that story. It takes place just after the, the first um, round of stories that we did at, at Crystal Lake at the Pioneer Camp. Uh, where the, the overseer is unmasked as the killer. <laughs> Which was actually things. pretty crazy, because I think I wasn't expecting it with the Sickle Man story at all. <laughs> I was honestly expecting it to be Brian the entire time. <laughs> yeah, I, I had all of it set up that way, 
and I wanted for one thing, I wanted Amada to she needed to be docked down a peg um, because she she comes across as a really uh, uppity know-it-all. Um, yes. So I wanted her to be so wrong when she took off the mask. But also I was thinking about the overseer who, who tasks us with restarting civilization. Um, when we finally chase down her holotapes, by the final one, she's like, what are you doing? Why are you throwing nukes around? I'm trying to secure these silos and you're out here nuking each other's camps. What's wrong with you people? Um, so her, her losing her sanity, uh, knowing how badly she failed uh, at teaching us to, to be good people, much less to you know, restart civilization, right. uh, made, made sense for her to kind of lose her mind for a little bit. Yeah, I think she has a very cool story arc, too. And up to the episode where I'm on now is just when she escaped the prison. So I haven't gotten into the continuation yet. But I like oh, where you're going yeah. with the next section of the sickle man, because clearly in my mind now, it's not her this time. So that's going to get real interesting to me to see where you go with that. Yeah, you're going to be surprised when that one's unveiled. Um, and that episode also revealed a big piece of the puzzle um, in terms of what Vault Tech has been doing with us. Um, so there's some some deep lore there. It also unveiled a Lost Boys Surfer Boy character. <laughs> yeah, played by uh, YouTuber Kevduit really good job and yeah, we were talking about lost boys earlier so it's second i think surfer i'm immediately thinking lost boys because one of the sequels i think they were actually surfers in that one yeah oxhorn also joined us that story and did an amazing job uh with his character where he plays the the farmer at the orchard yeah that was a really amazing episode so we got to talk about a little bit about it but i want to throw one final question at you before we get off of this episode would you ever consider doing an elder scrolls podcast the way I've, that you've done fallout yeah i've thought about it um i like i think the witcher um is done really well in that you have modern tropes and storytelling um done in, in a quasi medieval world right in a really great way like there's there's a great balance of humor and drama and conflict um, I think if I was to tell an Elder Scrolls story, I don't think it would be too different than the way I structure Fallout 76 stories and that you, you, there's a good, healthy balance of, of humor with some really serious moments, some horror moments. Um, I've thought about it. Yeah. That's something <laughs> that I listening to the different audio dramas. Cause I don't, I honestly, I don't listen to a lot. I listen to that, uh, the long, I think it was the longest night or the long dark one, the one that was the Wolverine one that yeah. was Marvel one. That was like one of the first ones I listened to. And then I got into your Chad one. So something I'm clamoring for is an Elder Scrolls one because I haven't found any yet. So I'm like, yeah. someone needs to do one. I've, I've thought about one. Um, it, it would have to be after season four, which is still two years away anyway. Yeah, that, I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> and I've, I knew going into this, I was only going to do four seasons of Chad because I know where I want the story to end. And it's not going to be one of those stories where as much as people want there to be more stories, it, it's a good ending point. Because you also, there are shows out there that um, became almost too popular. Uh, and then they they kind of drag on past what should have been their natural endpoint, and then there's just, they kind of peter out anyways. Right. 
Right. All right, Ken, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I would actually like to maybe have you on when your Starfield show starts up. Like once you've got some of those episodes out, because I will definitely want to dive into details on some of those episodes. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. But thank you so much for coming on the show. And I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you.